Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. This Sunday night after the final episode of True Detective, we'll be going live for our last Flat Circle After Show with Jason Concepcion and Chris Ryan. You can stream that live on YouTube, Facebook, and Periscope. And while you're there, make sure to subscribe to our channel at youtube.com slash The Ringer as we near 100,000 subscribers. I'm Donnie Clark, East Coast Bureau Chief of The Ringer, and as always with me, my main man, Micah Peters. What's up, Micah? Also, back by popular demand, you heard him on the last episode, previewing the Champions League. Now we're going to be reviewing the Champions League. It's Nico Morales from Orlando. What's up, Nico? What's up, guys? Uh, Popular demand, I think, is is really flattering, so glad to hear it. I I didn't shout it out last time, so let me shout it out now. You can find Nico on Twitter at Nico underscore O Morales. That's correct, right, Nico? Yes, sir. How annoyed are you by that underscore in your name? Because I'm super annoyed by the one in mine. I used to have I used to have a cooler at name, but it was, you know, it just didn't really make sense. So I had to go all professional with the underscore. But yeah, it, it's very annoying. Yeah. I've tried to get straight up Nico like a bunch of times and it's just some inactive Russian account or something. Micah, there's people you can talk to for that. Yeah, I know. I, I have. I'm just, you know, it's <laughs> slow going. And it's... By the way, at, at Quaka Flocka, that's me. Anyway, on My today's episode... Way more, way more clout. Than <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. He does. On today's episode, we will prognosticate the Premier League title run between Liverpool and Manchester City. Sorry, Spurs. We're going to do a Mike and Mad Dog style, go through the schedule. We're also going to discuss the parallel mini crises at Chelsea and Arsenal as they fight for a top four place. But first, let's review the Champions League. We just saw two matches. Micah, you're Never trust Schalke. (laughs) From Valtins Arena. (laughs) Never trust Schalke. Manchester City came back. 3-2 victory. Uh, At some point in today's match, I believe it was when Otamendi got his red card. Micah typed in our Slack. City is having a disaster class. You know, Two Schalke penalties in the first half. Both were VAR decisions. There was the Otamendi handball and then Fernandinho bundling over Salisane, I believe, on a, on a set piece. Yes. Uh, both penalties scored by Spurs legend Nabil Bentaleb. And Schalke <laughs> had a shocking 2-1 to halftime lead after Aguero had opened scoring in the 18th minute. But as City are wont to do, they came back. Never in doubt, right, Micah? I mean, it sort of was in doubt. <laughs> I mean, after Domenico got a red card. Um, it, basically, Domenico, Domenico Tedesco was, I mean... Who looks I like was, a Ringer staffer. I was almost sure that he was a tactical genius because, I mean, it was a superb defensive performance for Schalke up to the point that Sané came on for Bernardo Silva because, I mean, Sterling and Silva were given basically no quarter. Like, they weren't allowed to, to operate on the wings. Schalke was getting everybody back behind the ball. And it would be like these <clears throat> very regular instances where De Bruyne might come up the middle, cycle it out wide, Sterling lays it across, like, you know, just rifles a, a low cross across the middle and they'd clear it out and the whole thing would start over again. But, I mean, for a while it didn't seem like City was really clicking. It was kind of like very, and I meant disaster class as in like a City type of disaster class like against Newcastle or Crystal Palace. Like, Right, right. It's it was, all relative. Yeah, it's more so like they're, the passing just wasn't quite good enough. The, I mean, it was kind of like half-hearted. And then Sané came double- on and banged in a free kick. And then... Yeah, let's double click on the equalizer. Leroy Sané, of course, former Schalke player. Ugh. 85th minute, he had a free kick. I don't know how far it was out, but shit, it was fucking beautiful. Sumptuous. Sumptuous finish from Leroy Sané. Upper, upper 90. And he didn't celebrate. He put the hand up, you know, yeah. former club. Yeah. Um, and then, and then uh, the game winner was an Ederson to Raheem Sterling, like 70-yard ball. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and the the finish looked even better. And 
in world class like in slow motion. It was. Yeah, I, I mean, even at two one Schalke, even if it had ended that way, City were still going to go through because a one nil win at the Etihad would have seen them through. So, but obviously, winning three to two three away goals that pretty much seals the deal. And the other match, Atletico Madrid at the Vicente Calderon, two nil over Juve. Nico, you watch this one. More VAR. Every time I, I, I had two screens going, every time I looked over at the Atletico Juve game, there was like recriminations with the referee, people surrounding him. <laughs> with these two teams, you knew there was going to be some shithousery, a lot of Champions League veterans on both sides. Uh, what did you make of it? Yeah, it was probably one of the worst football games I've ever been subjected to with some of the <laughs> most talented players I've ever I've ever watched. So, yeah, it was it was not a good game, but um, there was some interesting tactical stuff going on here. It was, I think, you know, Allegri is a, is a really good coach and he's someone that I've written about in the past. I think he just thought about this one a little bit too much because essentially everybody knows Madrid's game plan, right? They, they've known it for a couple of years. They like to sit deep and be defensive and then hit you on the counterattack. So a way to stop them from doing that is to try to give them a little bit more possession. I don't necessarily think they actively did that, but what Juventus did was they weren't as advantageous in their passing, right? So Atletico employ like a midfield press, basically, so they can win the ball back in dangerous areas and then break up the field. Um, a lot of Juventus' passing was trying to be direct to some of the front players. So they had Mandzukic, who obviously has amazing hold-up play, and Ronaldo and Dybala, who was coming a little bit deeper and also a little bit wider. Um, but it just didn't work. You know, uh, Pjanic had the flu in this game and still played, which, you know, he didn't put in a Michael, a Michael Jordan-esque performance. It was just a really bad game. Um, Benton Kaur, who's probably one of my favorite players, was just being used to give Pjanic more space. And I would have argued he, he could have done that job much better. So ultimately, it came down to Atletico being Atletico in the second half because Juventus were just so bad with their passing. Um, so I think it was, technically speaking, if you look at like a textbook of tactics or something, it was the right game plan, but it just didn't pan out because of a variety of things. Yeah, so two set-piece set piece goals, uh, Jose Jimenez, Diego Godin. There's actually a third goal. They should have probably won 3-0 because Alvaro Morata, remember him, Scored a header. I guess they in the VAR they said he fouled Cellini. Is, is that yeah. what the call was? Yeah, there was, there was a, a lot of VAR going on today. Break. What did you guys? There was VAR <laughs> all over the place in both matches today. What did you guys think about how it affected the match, or if it was fairly used, um, that or, first, or effective, effectively used? The first decision, the first VAR decision uh, on a handball from Odomendi in the box. Um, the first of Bentaleb's PKs. The decision from like the from the whistle being blown to the decision being given was like the longest four minutes ever. <laughs> yeah, I heard it was like a broken monitor or something. Yeah. So there there was like a technical difficulty. We saw in the World Cup, as far as handballs go and with VAR, if it touches your hand, it's it's a penalty in, in the box now. I mean, that's basically what they're educating, right? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, but also like it may have looked worse in slow motion, but I guess like within the letter of the law, Odomeni did move his hand towards the ball. But I, I mean, like there's not really a point in relitigating the decision and, and angering all of the city fans out there. Y'all chill. You won. It's fine. Um, <laughs> okay. So rather than relitigating all the decisions, did you think overall, again, this is the first Champions League uh, knockout stage with VAR that it's being used properly or that it's, adding to the fairness, I guess, of the game. What do you think, Nico? I think it's one of those things that in in theory, VAR is a very good thing, right? We all we all ultimately want the correct decision. But in practice, it's something that it probably favors the better teams or the bigger teams in general, because if you're just prognosticating or, or ruminating on every single decision in the most correct way with slow motion and all these things, I think that ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, favors the better team. So I don't know if it's exactly working out how people imagined it would, but I think I'm still generally for it. But I don't know. It's it's just a very weird thing. Yeah. Uh, I think, Micah, you shared the tweet. I wasn't sure who tweeted it, but somebody caught a gif of Diego Simeone because, uh, you know, the Morata goal was overturned at nil-nil. And then after they scored, he kind of did a... Grabbed his nuts, yeah. He grabbed his nuts, basically. <laughs> yeah gesticulating wildly to the crowd and I think the, the caption was VAR these nuts so yeah maybe that's what Diego Simeone thinks of VAR Murata was 
Murata deserves something good to happen to him. I, I can't believe they overturned that call. Simeone just doing what he's done his entire career. There's a def- There's also another another tweet of just side by side him at you know Lazio on the pitch at full time grabbing his nuts, and then this one. So I mean, like you know, it's it's been the whole the whole thing, just yeah. shit housing masterclass. Speaking of yeah, Diego Costa was also. I saw there was a VAR incident where. Uh, it was like in or out of the box. Where was he fouled? And and you look at the replay, he dove. So anyway, let's talk about yesterday's matches really quick. Two scoreless draws. Uh, Lyon held Barcelona at home and Liverpool and Bayern nil-nil at Anfield. Let's start with you, Nico. What were your thoughts about these? I've read a column in The Guardian today, Jonathan Wilson, small sample size granted, talking about how these two scoreless draws might suggest that defending is making a comeback after some high-scoring Champions League knockout rounds in recent years. Do you buy that? Um, I don't know. I think there was a lot of chances conceded by both Lyon and on the other end, uh, Bayern in, in these two games. And it's just something that ultimately didn't pan out. Um, the expected goals were pretty heavily in favor of Barcelona and then on the other end, Liverpool. So they created some good chances. I think I was cheering for Lyon because I like the underdog in that situation. But the reason that I actually was relatively hopeful that they might do something against Barcelona um, before the the tie started was because they beat Manchester City twice and they beat PSG and they did so by being the off-ball team. They have a really unique defensive strategy and they have a nice press. Um, But Barcelona actually flipped that on its head in this tie and they were relatively defensive. And that's kind of been the game plan under Valverde that they are okay with being off the ball. They're okay with countering against teams. And when you have Usman Dembele and Lionel Messi running at you, it doesn't matter how you how good you are defending, you're going to concede really good chances. So if they can somehow overcome that tactical switch in the second uh, in the second game and, and actually make Barcelona possess the ball and try to press them off of it, then I could see them doing something really cool. Um, but Barcelona, you know, subverted what we expected of them in, in this game and they almost they almost uh they almost scored a lot of goals. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Lyon is still unbeaten in the in the entire Champions League season so far, which is commendable. Um, Nabil Fakir didn't play. Outside of Memphis Depay, you know, Lyon historically is always littered with great young talent. Nico, in your mind, like, who of the team that played against Barcelona would be a sure shot for a higher level uh, or is most likely to be plucked and, and star in another league. Dombele, right? Uh, yeah. And Dombele was really impressive as usual. I think he had less of a chance to shine in this game because like I said, Barcelona were just really good in like a off ball pressing formation, but for Len Mendy, the left back, he's really good as well. I could see city just having two Mendy's at left back in the future. If they decide to buy him <laughs> or even, you know, he would work for Barcelona because he's really smart. He's really quick and, and intelligent, and he has both attacking and, and defensive prowess. So I think those two are, are really promising, as well as the Dembele that played at striker for them um, was really good. But it's also really, really just strange to think about the fact that Memphis Depay is Steve Harvey's son-in-law. Every time I watch Leon play, I'm like, this is, what timeline are we in where that crosses Well, over? he was, he was. He was. He was. Now that's Trey oh, are, they not, are they not together anymore? Oh. Sorry about that. <laughs> Lori, wait, Lori Harvey, right? Yeah. It seems like every big team right now in the Premier League at least needs a good left back or a better left back. So maybe for Lamin to come to Arsenal. Uh, Michael, you watch Liverpool, <laughs> Bayern. Yes. Uh, no, no Virgil van Dijk, Fabinho. At, it must be nice to have somebody you could just slot in at center half like Fabinho and, and not miss a beat. Yeah, I mean, like, Fabinho uh, was makeshift center back. Joel Matip was back in. Um, Liverpool, in, well, not incidentally, were showing a lot of defensive weakness early on. Uh, mm-hmm. Byron was, well, started the game composed, uh, <laughs> like, as as Rory Smith tweeted, like a like a team that has only missed the, the Champions League semis twice this decade. Um, but the way that Liverpool, the way that Bayern was set up was such that they were playing like f- they were committing four to attack, having four in defense, and basically having a two-man midfield between uh, James Rodriguez and uh, and Thiago. Um, so they actually did a really good job of containing Liverpool. That you would think that they were gonna 
you know, hit Byron early and hard on the break, and that didn't really happen. They also missed a lot of, like, sitters, particularly Sané, uh, not Sané, excuse me, Mane, Sadio Mane missed a lot of sitters. Um, yeah. One, I don't know if, I mean, if you're thinking of the one when he was, like, falling back on his left foot, that's not really a sitter. But yeah, I mean, it was it was point blank, basically, but it was kind of a tough... Yeah, yeah, but I mean, in any case, in the in the I mean, in the fullness of the game, was like a really exciting uh, nil nil draw. Um, There was a lot of uh, blows being traded, and it was difficult to exhale until the game was over, despite there being no goals in it. Right. So two goalless draws in the first legs, generally. They definitely, I guess, favor the away team in the second leg. So, first of all, Nico, how do you feel about the away goals rule? I like it. I think as many times as it maybe frustratingly allows the team to go through. I remember a couple of years ago with the, the Monaco versus Manchester City tie. Um, that was really frustrating. But it does create, like, a tension in the second leg, usually, that, you know, the, you know they have the away goals. And it's, I think it's a good rule because there is a genuine impact that these crowds make in, in a lot of the home and away games. So I think it's good. I know a lot of people don't like it, but I like it. Yeah. Our dearly departed Ryan O'Hanlon actually in his newsletter pointed out, uh, he pointed to an Omar Shahudri, who's the 21st club long tweet thread about in favor of the way goals rule. But he mentions in every situation, basically except when there's a goal is drawn the first leg, because any scoring draw, the away team is going to go through. Which I think is a little unfair. What do you think, Micah? I mean, sure, but I, again, this is just kind of a give and take thing. I mean, if you don't have that kind of unfortunate happenstance, then you don't also get like the Roma comeback or the Barcelona comeback against PSG. PSG. Or, you know, it's it, yeah, yeah. I can see arguments for and against. I just think. With these two ties so delicately poised, it would be kind of a shame if a one-one is a you know deciding result. Oh, I should mention the homes of Memphis Depay and Sadio Mane were burglarized during their respective Champions League matches. What do you guys make of that? Is there, is there anything to say to that? I just thought it was a weird coincidence, and I and I, I think I read probably that it Manchester wasn't... United fan. Okay, possibly Nico. Possibly maybe it was Lori, maybe it was Lori Harvey. <laughs> Where was she? Turning Leon Barcelona. All right, let's also quickly discuss last week's results, which we previewed in our last episode. I think, oh, actually, obviously, these ties aren't over yet. Roma 2 1 over Porto. Uh, PSG came to Old Trafford 1 2 0. Spurs 3 0 over Dortmund. Real Madrid came back 2 1 over Ajax. Actually, it wasn't really a comeback. I think they it was 1 1, and then they, they scored the game winner. Uh, anything stand out to you guys for, for these results? I think we basically picked them all right, except the Spurs match, probably. Spurs was probably the most impressive of, of the results, right? Or yeah, the team you would have thought that they would have, you know, it would have been like a 1-0 or 2-0. I definitely didn't expect them to get three. Um, and it was just a really comprehensive and very strong performance. Nico, what do you think? I really like the PSG game. Um, what Tuchel is doing at PSG is is really fun to watch. But, you know, you're right. Without without Neymar, of, they were better. <laughs> That's see, true. see what I mean? <laughs> you, you called um, it. Yeah, a lot, a lot of these uh, the criticism of a lot of these coaches that, that like to possess the ball is that they're not pragmatic or they're not practical. But he kind of shut everyone up and and played relatively defensively. They still still saw the majority of the ball, but um, you know they they set up in a way that they were like shifting formations basically on and off the ball. And what that equated to was Marquinhos, of all people, consistently releasing uh, Kylian Mbappe on, into a lot of space. And also Marquinhos sh- completely shutting down a, a red-hot Paul Pogba. So that's always fun to watch. Yeah, um, I, But yeah, I really like that game. It's just, you know, a... <laughs> a red-carded Paul Pogba, we should add. Yeah, red-carded <laughs> Paul Pogba. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, PSG were just fully the better team. They had a coach that had a better grasp of tactics, have had longer time to implement his vision. I mean, this is basically the the limit of, like, the new manager bounce of, of good feelings wait, wait, being Micah, made. Are you, are, you suggesting, are you suggesting that if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Thomas Tuchel had the same amount of time at their respective clubs. No, I'm not saying that that is, that is a, I'm, I'm merely saying 
that this is a <laughs> this is a coach that has I mean like a better <laughs> a better aptitude for 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 tactical changes. I mean like Ole doesn't know how to use his subs yet, really. <laughs> I mean, uh, and I mean, yeah, the the better team won the game. I mean, they took Paul Pogba out of it. Um, they it, it was a complete and. Uh, dominant performance. I mean, United only managed one shot on goal at home. I got to say, I have a Superman crush on Verratti, Marco Verratti. What a player. So elegant. So good. Who doesn't love Speaking of VAR decisions too, that Ajax Real Madrid, uh, Ajax had a goal reversal, which was seen patently unfair. Do you agree? Very marginal, offside interference call. Yeah, Rory, Rory Smith has been talking about the offside rule quite a bit. Um, and well, I think there's valid it. points there. There's his, some his, valid his, points there. Like, his point is kind of what letter of the law, spirit of the law, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's just like we were talking about before with VAR. A lot of this stuff is making us re-eva- reevaluate how we actually see the letters of the law, right? So I think in, in a different way, you know, there's there's legitimate cases to say that the offside rule is being implemented in a strange way, given the technology we have now, but, you know, ultimately, uh, even Ramos said in, in a post-match interview that um, Ajax played the better football, but Real Madrid got the result. So, you know, they, they're clearly still a really, really good team. Yeah, Ramos, who purposefully got booked to miss the second leg, so he'd be available for the quarterfinal. Very presumptuous. Uh, those second legs are happening in two weeks. Uh, actually, when we record again. Um, do you guys think any of the teams that are in deficit will be able to overcome and advance? Or are Roma, PSG, Spurs, and Real Madrid all going through? I think if anyone, can, if any of those teams that are in the deficit can overcome the or get out of the hole that they dug themselves into, I think it's Juventus. They could do something interesting when they're back at the J Stadium. Um, okay, but yeah. other than that, I think I think most of them are, are through. And it'll be interesting to see what happens, obviously, in the Lyon tie as well, if they can, like I said, reverse the tactical dynamic that was imposed upon them in the first tie. Um, but yeah, I think Juventus is the only one I'd really put any faith in. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm sure that there will be some Max Allegri devil magic in the second leg. Um, maybe there will <laughs> some be Ronaldo devil yeah, magic. some Ronaldo devil magic. Also, shout out Diego Godin for getting revenge on Ronaldo for punching him in the face in that one game uh, during the Madrid Derby like three years ago. Kicked him while he was on the ground and then scored the 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 icer the icer of the game. So you know, and, shout and out celebrated Diego celebrated like a madman. <laughs> you, you guys don't think uh, Tottenham will get Spursy best fallen? Marco Royce back. Harry Kane might be back too, though. So I can see there like being I can like see a it. You weird can see it. kind you of know you can see situation it. where Dortmund they go two goes goals up, up too early. Up. Yeah, yeah. And then, but I I still think Spurs pull it out. We can only hope. All right. On that note, we'll take a quick break. Come back and talk about the Premier League. All right, y'all. Quick break to talk about Hotel Tonight. This winter is a great time to check out Hotel Tonight. Whether you want to take a spontaneous ski trip, you know, because you can do that, or escape to a warm beach, Hotel Tonight makes it easy to book a room with one of their last-minute deals. There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked. That's how Hotel Tonight scores such incredible rates. They team up with awesome hotels to help them sell those rooms and pass the savings along to you. And these aren't last resort type places. Hotel Tonight works with cool top rated hotels you actually want to stay at. Unlike other travel companies, you don't have to scroll through endless lists of hotels. Hotel Tonight shows you the best deals at great hotels along with short profiles that have pictures and all the info you need. Even though their name is Hotel Tonight, and not just for last minute bookings, you can play things by ear or use Hotel Tonight to book in advance. And when you join Hotel Tonight's HT Perks program, the more you book, the better the deals get. To start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. And we're back. It's time to focus on the Premier League. Our first topic are, we talked about crises, pre-crises, etc. in a previous episode. But right now, Chelsea and Arsenal are experiencing what I would deem mini-crises. The two London clubs are tied at 50 points 
with identical records in the Premier League, 15 wins, five draws, and six losses. Arsenal are in fifth, ahead of Chelsea on goal difference. But the similarities do not end there. Let us count the ways before I turn it over to our panel. Both clubs obviously have first-year managers in Mauricio Sarri and Unai Emery, who are both trying to implement their philosophies on mostly inherited players. Both clubs had strong starts to the seasons, but poor stretch of results as of late. Chelsea have lost three of four in the Premier League, conceded 12 goals in those losses, and just got knocked out of the FA Cup by Micah's Manchester United. Arsenal have lost two of five in the Premier League and just lost, very embarrassingly, the first leg of their round of 32 Europa League tie at Bate Borisov. Uh, 1-0. And I should mention that Bates' entire wage bill is 200,000 pounds per week. Wait, you, you're also leaving out the fact that Bate hadn't played since December 13th before that game. <laughs> and they also feature the legendary Alexander Fleb, who has done more in an Arsenal uniform than Mesut Ozil ever has. Uh, fans of both clubs are getting increasingly restless. The honeymoon is over. They're questioning the lineups, the tactical deployments. At that aforementioned FA Cup tie with United. Fuck sorry ball. Sorry ball. <laughs> Fuck sorry ball was heard in the crowd from Chelsea fans. Both clubs have superstars in limbo. For Chelsea, Eden Hazard, one foot out the door. We all know he's going to Real Madrid. Mesut Ozil, of course, he's famously. Fortnite. <laughs> Mesut Ozil is leaving cryptic messages on social media, playing Fortnite, posting pictures of him and his wife or his missus. Uh, both Sarri and Emery signed three-year contracts. Arsenal actually have an out clause after two seasons. And we all know Chelsea are notoriously fickle with managers. They've dismissed nine since Roman Abram- Abramovich took over in 2003. Uh, one key difference between the two clubs, obviously, is that Chelsea have won the title as recently as 2017 under Antonio Conte and have a bigger transfer budget. Arsenal are coming off of Arsene Wenger's 22-year reign and have had some mismanagement issues, letting players' contracts run out. Ramsey's going on a free in the summer to Juventus. Mesut Ozil, of course, is making a sick amount of money. So, Micah and Nico, questions. How long should a club with European ambitions give a first-year manager to implement his system? And I ask you this because... Right now, the gold standard of management in the Premier League is Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, Pep Guardiola at Manchester City, to a little bit of a lesser degree, Pochettino at Spurs. And they've all been given multiple transfer windows. I guess the transfer windows don't really matter for Spurs, but multiple transfer windows and multiple seasons to see their vision through. Uh, How long do you think, how long of a leash is it fair to give uh, a manager at a club like Chelsea or Arsenal? And are, are these guys getting a little bit of undue heat because they haven't had enough time uh, to work their systems in? I tend to say like two seasons, but um, I don't know. Like the the issue with the with Maurizio Sarri is that like Chelsea hadn't even got rid of Antonio Conte when the like when the season was like about to begin. Uh, like he was only he only managed to bring in. Jorginho, um, and then the rest of this has been like, well, Jorginho and uh, and Kepa, but I mean, outside of that, the rest of this is just kind of makeshift parts from previous managers uh, and managed to make it work for, you know, four or five or three or four months. Um, I mean, that was kind of a storyline of the, the beginning of the season is how strong Chelsea started. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, if you're making comparisons to Pep or, or, or Klopp, um, City and Liverpool both bought in, like, a whole team around those two people and allowed them to, I mean, like, a CEO and a direct and a technical director that, I mean, were already friends with Pep beforehand. And Klopp, I mean, has, it was like a full wholesale committal to his, to his vision and philosophy, like you right. were saying, across the, the transfer window. So I'd, Sorry's kind of getting a bit of a raw deal here. And I think Klopp, what, they, Liverpool finished eighth, I believe, in his first season. Um, but I guess, Nico, the question could also be, if the vision or the system that they're trying to implement, if people feel or if the club or the board feels that that is a faulty vision, then maybe it's better to abort mission before the fully faulty system is implemented. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. I I really think that Chelsea 
in, in particular at a crossroads, right? Because for the past couple of seasons, they have had a relatively similar uh, and, and really talented squad that has had a lot of success playing a defensive type of football. Under Jose Mourinho, they won a title and it was defensive football. And then they finished, what, 10th or 11th in the following season before he was sacked. Then they had Antonio Conte. They won another title, but then the secondary season wasn't so good. Um, that has fit Chelsea's financial model as not being able to compete with, with the oil-rich clubs like Manchester City and maybe soon enough Manchester United. But the reason they're mainly at a crossroads now is because Mercio Sarri is completely different from that. He wants to implement a more holistic possession-based style of football. And if you look at the majority of possession managers across Europe and you look at their tenures, it takes more than a singular season. Now, obviously, money is a time machine. Money makes things go quick, makes things go quicker because they can buy the players that more adequately fit those roles. I think personally that it would be nice to see if, um, you know, sorry, could be given more time as well as adequate backing in the sense that the, the, the crossroads is particularly difficult for Chelsea because I think in order to fully back the manager this summer, if they're going to do that, they're probably going to have to sell both Aiden Hazard and N'Golo Kante for a lot of money, but then they're going to have to bring in players that fit the system, and by then they'll have fully committed to that game plan. So they either continue upon the relatively volatile path of being a defensive football team in the top six, winning and having some success every couple of seasons, but really going up and down in terms of where they finish in the league or transitioning to an ultimately more sustainable style of football with Sari and other managers maybe in the future and backing that and, and not backing the players anymore. So that's the difficult crossroads, I think, for Chelsea is that they really have to choose between what they've been doing and what the majority of top teams are doing now. Yeah, for Abramovich, who famously sort of dreams of this kind of beautiful football or beautiful offensive football. I guess when you've been watching Chelsea in recent weeks, it hasn't been that. And it's like, it's kind of like the worst of both worlds when, when you're leaking so many goals, but also playing, not scoring or not, not playing attractive football. So um, it's kind of a conundrum there. I mean, it seems to be a lot of pundits have been saying that basically sorry ball has been found out that if you press Jorginho, the whole um, thing, their, their plans in. go to shit. Is that, is yeah. that too pat of an analysis? No, because and, it has regularly worked against them. Um, and and it's also the, the Conte not playing in the holding role as, as kind of the stick that's used to beat sorry constantly. Well, yeah. You have uh, a, a slightly more attacking uh, holding midfielder that doesn't score and the one that's playing in the more defensive position in the hole can only pass square and doesn't defend, really. So it's just kind of like the whole thing falls apart. Also, when you're playing out of the back and if anybody presses on you, it's just kind of like, again, and we've talked about this before, it's just this commitment to this only one style of playing kind of falls through. It's almost like not fully respecting the opponents that you're facing every week. There's no changes to it at all. Yeah, Sari interestingly said in a press conference recently, in that position, speaking of the holding role, the Jorginho role, I want a player able to move the ball very fast, which implies that Conte is incapable of moving the ball very fast, which seems counter to reality. Um, um, yeah, having <laughs> saying that as the player that does specifically that and has been the best at it on your team for the previous like two seasons. <laughs> uh, for Arsenal, uh, Unai Emery is definitely... The honeymoon is definitely over uh, as speaking as an Arsenal fan. Um, I think one of the issues, uh, Nico, for Arsenal fans, such as myself, is that there doesn't really, uh, you know, Unai Emery came in talking big about his style, his philosophy, pressing, etc., playing from the back, high tempo. I guess the problem is 26 matches into the season, there doesn't really seem to be a discernible style. And, and is it more so, do you think, a matter of, uh, the players he has has his disposal, or do you think that there's something maybe fundamentally off about his philosophy, uh, judging also from what he's done in the past? I think 
Unai Emery is the type of coach that succeeds more as an underdog. And given Arsenal's progression um, this season, they obviously started exceptionally well and, and have declined since, um, sort of similar to, to Chelsea, obviously. I, I'm kind of wondering if, obviously, he didn't enjoy the amount of success that you know the PSG board expected of him when he was there. I'm wondering if that situation, obviously, the, the tactical dynamics are influenced by the kind of, I guess, aura that you carry as a club, if it's maybe a little bit too much for him. So I don't necessarily think it's the player's fault. I think there are plenty of players um, that Arsenal have even before, or had even before he arrived that can do what he's asking them to do. I just think that there are there is something inherently wrong with some of the things that Unai Emery wants to do as a team that wants to compete for a title. They've also made some really strange signings. Um, you know, Socrates is really old, and it's good that he <laughs> played well for some of this year. But depending on guys like him and uh, Licksteiner and just other really old players for a new manager who wants to take the club in a new direction is a really weird thing. So can I, I do can think I there's something inherently wrong with Unai Emery, but you know, I, I, I still think he also should be given more time. I got two sidebars real quick. Speaking of signings, Dennis Suarez, who I'm sure is a quality player, you know, has, he's come on as a substitute now, I think in the last couple of games. You know what he strikes me as? You know what he reminds me of, Micah? Who? It's like when you have a FIFA career, and then you go, you go to your youth academy and you scout in Spain and they generate a, a player that's like five foot seven. And his, his name is like David Herrera and he's like 65 overall or like 59 overall. And he's just basic and generic. It's just that's, that y'all didn't need another. That's basically that what Dennis Suarez, he comes like. in and he's like a FIFA generated player that just doesn't do anything. I know I'm selling him short. I mean, he has barely had a chance to settle. Uh, here's my other sidebar. You know how Arsene Wenger's nickname was the professor? Mm-hmm. I think Unai Emery is like the substitute teacher because of his <laughs> his overall demeanor and like that fucking grimace on his face. It It just looks like the type of teacher who as soon as his back is turned, the students are throwing spitballs at him doesn't strike me as like a very likable guy. I, I've totally, by the way, flipped the script from how I was talking in the beginning of the season. <laughs> yeah, you, you really have. Maybe it's just because he's just been in a permanent grimace face for like the last month. Yeah, uh, they definitely rolled out the TV uh, in the, um, like after the, <laughs> after he just put on. He just put on yeah. yeah, he just put on like a Ken Burns documentary. <laughs> just sit, sits there and stares at everybody. Um, that's a good segue, though, to the Mesut Ozil issue. Uh, Micah, you obviously went through with Jose and Pogba uh, a big rift that was kind of dividing the club between manager and superstar. Uh, do you see shades of that with Emery and Ozil? I mean, it's possible to see shades of that in any uh, dispute between a manager and the team's best player. I don't care what you say. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of been like a, it, it, you know, with Pogba and Mourinho, it, it became a pissing contest. Like who's going to outlast who? And obviously Pogba survived or lasted longer than Jose did. Uh, Ozil has only started one match since Boxing Day. So that's, you know, a couple months now. Who knows if he starts tomorrow uh, in the second leg of the bait tie. Um, you know, uh, Emery came out today in a press conference and said, kind of cryptically, uh, the key is in Mesut Ozil's hands. Uh, he also said he needs to be consistent in training and for matches without injury or being sick. It's interesting because, you know, as a one, one of the biggest so Ozil haters. <laughs> yeah, I'm like a huge Ozil hater, but this is somehow... Yeah, stop coming into work hungover. Is- <laughs> It, it's really turned Ozil into this pariah and kind of a sympathetic figure now, uh, even for people that don't like him, because the more they keep losing and having no creativity without him in the lineup, it just seems like a stubborn grudge that, you know, people are generally going to side with the player in, the, in that case, because uh, he isn't even given, even being, being given a chance to underperform. Um, what do you think, Micah? I mean, do you think it's as simple as just inserting him into the lineup? Will, I mean, like, what, why, why do you think, what, 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 you know, there's so many rumors going around about how maybe it's above Emery's head or they're forcing him out of the club or what do you think? 
I mean, like, I don't know. He's your your highest played, your highest paid player, even it, even if we're not agreeing that he is your uh, best creative spark. Uh, you know, approaching thirty one years old. Who knows if the club is trying to move him out? I, I mean, like, I honestly have not been paying the closest attention to the Ozil saga. Um, but I, I mean, mean, lollygagging number tens also are not like in high demand in world football anymore. Exactly. He's not like, a, he's not the, the I, it's difficult to know where he would go if it's not just a payday in China. Like it's because it's not like he's, he is, you know, the, what was it? Did we say the packing Gorn? Um, it was <laughs> um, just good at, I mean, like good at the incisive passing and like, you know, hitting the target that no one else can see, but he's not going to be playing. He's not really going to be tracking back or doing a whole lot of running. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I, I agree on your point about who knows where he would move on from here, but maybe that is what the, 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 the people above Emory's head are trying to do. Nico, do you think that Emery is kind of cutting off his nose, spite his face or whatever cliche fits for, by not playing Ozil at all? Perhaps a little bit, but I think it's also important in a sense of like team solidarity, right? Because, you know, he it's basically Mesut Ozil exists in an age of Bernardo Silva's, right? So maybe Bernardo, someone like Bernardo Silva is exceptionally talented. Um, and he, yet he does not produce the attacking product that someone like Ozil at his very peak can. But Bernardo Silva runs his socks off. You know, Pep Guardiola waxed lyrically about him the other day in a press conference for about two minutes and just talked about how no matter what, he was the most positive player when he doesn't play when he plays for 15 minutes, doesn't matter the situation. He's always speaking of Ber- sort of Bernardo Silva. Of Bernardo Silva. Sorry, uh, you're speaking of Bernardo Silva. He was speaking of Bernardo. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and so you know, there's an argument to be made that if you have a player like that that maybe doesn't contribute at their very best as much as Erzul, they still bring the potential of the team up more than if you played in Erzul and had to accommodate the formation or accommodate the lineup. To, uh, to try to cover up their defensive shortcomings. So I think that's the issue for Emery. Like when he says the key lies in Ozil's hands, he is being truthful about that. You know, Ozil, if he simply were to press aggressively and, and fit in with the rest of the formation, he could play as much as he wants probably. But since he doesn't seem to want to do some of those things, I can understand why someone like Emery would not want to play Ozil. The, the, the criticism or the question is, is that worth it? And is that what Arsenal needs right now? Can he actively accommodate for someone like Ozil to just get the results? And how does that affect the long term? I think that's probably the bigger question. Right. We should say that Arsenal actually literally have improved over last season. Last season was a disaster, but they were at 45 points at the same time last season. <laughs> the bar was after- really low. <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea, were on a- Chelsea were on an identical 50 points. As we mentioned, Arsenal are in fifth. Chelsea are in sixth. Micah's United are in fourth, currently holding the last Champions League place. Do you see either Chelsea or Arsenal being able to overtake them? I mean, it's very close, obviously. Points and, uh, you know, one point in goal differential separating them. I mean, like, I, I, based on uh, Mike Phelan's Twitter account, which is a really good follow, uh, United bouncing back against Chelsea gives me hope that they won't, you know, fumble the bag in 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 the spring months um but you know like anything is possible yeah anything um, is possible do you guys think or nico do you think sorry lasts for the rest of the season because it seems like with every match it basically his one. future's in doubt yeah basically mauricio sorry's uh future at chelsea is entirely dependent on the hefty hefty limbs of uh hefty shoulders of gonzalo Iguain. So hopefully he stays and hopefully Pipa scores a bunch of goals. <laughs> yeah. um, I guess the only thing that he really has to look forward to is a cup final against a team that just beat him 6-0. to zero. So, <laughs> Right, we should mention, yeah, uh, you know, you're only as good as your last result in football. Arsenal have that aforementioned home leg of their tie with Bate Borisov tomorrow. So the Europa League is a round of 32, so they, they separate the first and second legs by a week. Uh, so it's actually... Better to rebound off a bad loss. You only have a week to stew. Chelsea have the home leg of their tie with Malmo. They're up 2-1 uh, uh, tomorrow. And then the Carabao Cup final against City on Sunday. If they lift a trophy on Sunday, that could probably save Sorry 
Sorry's job for the rest of the season, you would imagine. And then Spurs next Wednesday. Here's what's going to happen. They're going to beat Malmo. They're going to lose the Carabao Cup final. And then they're going to lose to Spurs. And then Sorry will be fired next week. What do you guys think? Wow. All doom and gloom from you, huh? <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the Premier League title, the top end. Manchester City and Liverpool tied at 65 points. City are up on goal difference, plus 10, but Liverpool have a game in hand. City are still alive for the quadruple, a, a historical quadruple, it would be. Uh, Liverpool only alive in the Champions League and the Premier League. So you mentioned Liverpool have a game in hand, so City have 11 games left. Liverpool have 12. I thought we would just go through the rest of the schedule and prognosticate Mike in the Mad Dog style. What do you guys think? Sure, why not? All right, I'm going to tally the points as we go. All right, so let's start with Liverpool's remaining 12 matches starting this weekend. Marquee matchup at Old Trafford, Manchester United. Their previous matchup, Liverpool, of course, won 3-1. to one. That was Jose Mourinho's last game. Uh, United coming into this game without Jesse Lingard or Anthony Martial. With, Micah, explain Anthony, Anthony Martial's Instagram apology today. What the hell was that? <laughs> oh, it was carrying on a great club tradition. In the tradition of Ryan Giggs. Um he was creeping he, on his woman or something? He got, yeah, he got caught creeping. Uh, there were a couple of um, sex slash risque photos that made their way online. A couple of, I can't remember if it was last month or was it just a couple of weeks ago. It doesn't matter. Anyway, they were on the internet. And he issued an apology that I'm just going to read out loud. Um, you should mention that it was like accompanied by a picture of him on a boat with his arm around, I guess, his fiance. Yes, yes. His fiance that was quote unquote heavily pregnant when he sexted with a model, according to the Daily Mail headline. Um, Yikes. I would like to apologize to my loved ones, my beautiful family, and especially to my fiance for the evil I have been able to do during the last few months, exclamation point. <laughs> I've made mistakes and I'm sorry it won't happen again. Uh, raised prayer hands. So, Are comments open for that? I, I have not looked at the comments. I just want to, you know, zoom in slash double click on the evil I have been able to do is the, the best, just the, the just the best. I, I, I have no idea why you ordered it like that, but I mean, I'm, English I feel is like I'm going to be saying language. it English is a, a second language. So, so, okay. Yeah, sure. You know, but the evil I've been able to do is I'm going to, I I love that man. I, I love Anthony Martial. <laughs> Well, hopefully his apology was accepted, you know? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, I, anyway, uh, to Manchester United playing Liverpool this weekend, I think that we're going to get revenge for that 3-1 loss, which was also Jose Mourinho's last game. Um, I'm calling United... Ooh, United 2-0. So that's an L for Liverpool, Nico? Yeah, I'm going to say that Liverpool take out their... Champions League frustrations on an ultimately flawed Manchester United and win like three three nil or something. Oh wow! Okay. Wait, so Micah, <laughs> you're you're picking a United win with you're relying basically on Lukaku I'm, and Alex, I'm, Alexis Sanchez. I'm relying basically on again on good feelings and Lukaku and Alexis Sanchez. You got a very heartening what, what hug from Ander Herrera after that uh, Chelsea Carabao Cup game. <laughs> didn't didn't Bullshire call? Um, Alexis, like bad catch up this week or something. Well, You're relying he, on that, Micah. He was just he was he said he said I don't know what's going on with Alexis Sanchez when he plays. He has to find himself. <laughs> um, By the way, listen, man, that- let me hope. Okay, we're it's I I appreciated us not going into full wobbles after losing to PSG at home in the Champions League. I'm ho- I'm actually hopeful for for this weekend. And I think, okay, maybe 2-0 is strong, but I think maybe a turgid 1-0 win, like the same <laughs> against, like, say, Leicester City, where it's actually a, purport, a poor performance, but somehow, like, on an individual piece of magic, we skate by on the skin of our teeth. I should say that... Uh, the hope that kills you. It's the hope that kills you. <laughs> Cameras caught after that FA Cup win over Chelsea. Uh, oh, Solskjaer making a beeline for Callum Hudson-Odoi after the match, whispering in his ear, sweet nothings. Anyway, I'm I'm picking a uh, I'm gonna go with a a United win. I don't know why. Watford is the next match at Anfield. Three nil was the return fixture or the first one between the two. 
in favor of Liverpool, who of course have only lost one Premier League match this season. I think they beat. I think they beat Watford again, uh, pretty handily. Nico, I'm gonna say that this is one of the ones that they messed up and ultimately leads to Manchester City and more importantly Raheem Sterling lifting the Premier League title for the second time and they screw this up like 3-3 or 2-2 or something like that. Draw. Okay, I'm giving them a win. Merseyside Derby's next at Everton. The first one was 1-0, that Origi late winner, Pickford Howler. Um, I'm going to say that this is the this is I think that this is going to be the game that like Liverpool gets the wobbles. Um this is the Gerard slip game. It's yeah, kind of early for that. It's not the. It's not <laughs> this the, is the. This is the Henderson slip game. The, the, yeah, the Henderson <laughs> slip game. How um, fucking amazing would it be if there was like another slip and it was Hendo and it was just be perfect symmetrical. Anyway, yeah, I think a reverse of of uh, of of the game that had Origi's late winner uh, earlier in the season. So that's an L for Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Nico, I would say. Liverpool win this by the largest possible margin in, in Premier League history. <laughs> Everton are horrible, horrible team. Everton so. are horrible team, but I, I just feel like this is going to be like another one of those. I think this is the trap game and not the Watford game. I'm giving this a win, and I, I also think this is Marcus Silva's last game. All right, Burnley's next at Anfield. We'll just do wins across, right? They're going to beat Burnley. Yeah, they're going to beat Burnley, I think. Yeah, probably, yeah. And then the Bayern second leg is in between the, that match, the Burnley match, and Fulham. Everybody beats Fulham. That's a W, right? Yeah. At Craven Cottage? Yeah. yeah. Okay, then Spurs at Wembley. Ooh. Or actually, this could be at the new stadium. Shit. This could be at the $90 billion Death Star. Yeah. 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 I, it's. Don't with they the play cheese, the Imperial the March like before every game at Wembley? Yeah. 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 Spurs might fucking win the title. We're, we're short selling Spurs. I but mean, anyway. Like they're, I mean, they're right there. It's, it's, <laughs> we, we definitely are not giving them enough credit for, I mean, like, they, cause, okay. So they're five points back of Liverpool at the time of recording, Harry Kane is coming back. Um, Deli Ali is coming back. Deli Ali is going to be coming back. And Son, since he's come back from the Asian Cup, has been on fire. So yep. We don't have know. enough time to go through Spurs' schedule. That's, though, very, so that's a good point. You just need to tell me if Liverpool are going to beat Spurs at Wembley or their new stadium. Um, I don't think that they beat Spurs. So draw? Um, I'm th- Yeah, I'm going to call it draw on this one. Nico? I'm going to say Spurs galvanized by Duel of the Fates and their new stadium beats Liverpool. So, yeah, I'll take a Spurs win. Wow. Okay. I'm going to go for a draw. Next is Southampton. At Southampton, 3-0 was the first match between the two. But, of course, that was under Mark Hughes. Uh, Southampton under Mark Hughes. So, wins. Wins, guys? Yeah. I'm, t- I'm calling win on yeah, that one. I'll say win. Yeah. All right. Wrapping up. Last five matches. We'll go quickly. Chelsea. At Stamford Bridge. Win. Nico? I'll say win as well, yeah. Yep. I'm going to go with a win. That could be under new manager. That could be under Frank Lampard. Chelsea? <laughs> Cardiff, <laughs> Cardiff City? Uh, win. Definite win, yeah. Definite win. Huddersfield Town, who they only beat 1-0 at Anfield. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, that was also a city, what, breathing, like, breathing hotly down their neck. Who knows, actually? Is this another wobble? And, you know, no, I'm going to say that this is a win for Liverpool as well. Okay. Nico win? Yeah, I think they, they win that one, too. Okay, last two here. At Newcastle, Rafa Derby, uh, 4-0 was the Anfield result. Uh, nervy 1-0 win. <laughs> Yeah, this is squeaky bum no, time. Think, this is one, yeah, this is squeaky bum. This time is the Hendo sure. slip game. <laughs> I think Rafa just lays down and takes six. <laughs> Rafa takes six. six. Okay, Rafa no, shipping yeah. six goals at home <laughs> is quite a take. Um, I'm gonna say, I'm, gonna, I'm saying you said a, you said a win, a one nil nervy win. You already no, committed no, to I that. Was, I, I was moving on to the Wolves game because oh no, I was gonna say this is a loss. Mm. Liverpool's gonna lose this game. And Almiron's going to score. Wow, the game goal. that is that's wow. a take. You talk about wow. my take. That's a warm take right there. <laughs> All right, they close with Wolves. Imagine if it comes down to the last game and it's against Nuno Espirito Santos' men. 
who could be have a tough been one. That's really a tough one just fucking everybody's shit up this season. <laughs> yeah, um, at the Molyneux. Yeah, I think like, this is definitely this is the squeaky bum game. This is the Hindo slip game. Yeah, in in the in the conclu- yeah. in the last game of the season. Wow, they were knocked out by Wolves in the FA Cup as well. So you're giving them an this L is, for that. This is for me probably the best viewing of the season for Liverpool. Like this is the most intense game that we're going to see, and it's I don't know. I don't know if I can even call it right now. I can just see no, it. You got to commit, <laughs> Micah. You got to commit I'll say, too. I'll say Liverpool pull it out, but it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Ooh, hmm. Will this be the game that? Wow, I feel like you know what? Just knowing like my history with picking stuff, I feel like I'm I'm saying that this is gonna be the game that Liverpool like you know, just kind of pisses away the title. But then again, just because I think that, I'm going to call Liverpool beating Wolves like five to zero. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You guys realize that you have Liverpool, both of you guys have Liverpool ending the season on a six-game winning streak. I mean, mean, you wanted a hot take. You emailed (laughs) and said, listen, do you have hot takes? And I said, yeah. Well, I mean, like, we're we're saying what? Southampton. It's all good. You can, we can't go game, back now. Chelsea winnable game. Cardiff, Huddlesfield. <laughs> all right, we got to move Newcastle. on. We got to move on to. We got to move on to City. We'll do it quicker. City have twelve matches remaining. They have the Carabao Cup final first, uh, and then let's just go through the schedule. West Ham at home, who they beat four nil. Yeah, away. win. Definitely win. What? Uh, sorry, at Bournemouth, four nil. They won. <laughs> Still, <laughs> that, that's yeah. Win. <laughs> Definitely. Win. Watford at the Etihad. 2 1 was the first. Mm. What if Watford fucks up both of their title runs? <laughs> I mean, I guess obviously one of them has to win. But what if Watford beats them both and Spurs sneaks in the back door? Ooh. I like that's an interesting. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm still th- I still think they beat Watford. Yeah, I'm going to say Watford lose this one. I agree. Okay. Then there's the Schalke second leg. Then Manchester Derby. I think Trafford. that United ruins their day again. I think that this is a two-one <laughs> win for United. Wow, Nico. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say six again, six nil <laughs> for this one. <laughs> <laughs> I pick a City win as well. Then they have the FA Cup quarterfinal against Swansea. Fulham. Everybody beats Fulham. Those are win. That's yeah, a win, win, right? And then yep. Cardiff City win. Also a win. Okay, wins across at Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace. You guys, I think this is, Crystal this is Palace. Trouble. Yeah, Mishi scores the winner in another 3-2 loss. Wow, so Crystal Palace was the season sweep over Manchester City. You heard it here first. Wow. Oh, I'll say, I'll say they have a draw. Uh, City and Palace draw like 1-1 or something. I I That's think there's probably no the more likeful thing, but I, but I, but I definitely want I want Mishi to score whatever happens. I'm going to eat the other cleat if that if Crystal Palace gets <laughs> anything from this match. We don't give Manchester, a shit what you're going to do if, the, if anything City happens because you still haven't eaten the destroy first destroy Palace. Okay, <laughs> four left. Spurs at Wembley or the new Monster Stadium Death Star. It's only one nil. That time when the two teams play. I um, think City win this one. I'm gonna say Spurs win this one. Mm, two lo- two losses in a row. Wow. Uh, City's gonna win at Burnley, five nil. Yeah, they win. This yeah, one. they win that. Last two, Leicester City. That's always a banana peel, right? Yeah, not last but not the won. last time they played. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that they win again. I think I don't think it'll be as decisive as five one, but I think that they beat Leicester City. Yeah, I say they win as well. I'm going to call that one a draw. Finally, they close the season at Brighton. Brighton, who might be fighting for survival at that point, giving them stakes in the match. Uh, They're hovering around the relegation zone. 2-0 it was at the Etihad. They're going to win it? Yeah. I say draw. If they are are fighting, if they're fighting relegation and... (laughs) I mean, like, I don't know. I, I feel like that would... I feel like... Something Chris complicated Hutton. is going to happen on the final day of the season. 
All right, guys, I've tallied up all of the results. My math might be really bad, so uh, hopefully I calculated this correctly. But according to our prognostications, Micah, you have Liverpool finishing on 93 points and Manchester City somehow losing three matches in five and finishing with 87 <laughs> points. So you have Liverpool as the champion. Nico, you have Liverpool and Manchester City finishing on 96. Oh, which, wow. Which means goal differential that. will come into play and City, as I mentioned, are plus 10. So they would likely win the title in that scenario. I have Liverpool finishing at 91 and City at 96. So City would repeat. Uh, I did pick Liverpool before the season started. So uh, we'll see. All right. So you heard it here first. That's how the Premier League. Well, actually, we'll have to find out who wins the title and who got closest. Uh, before we end the episode, you guys, MLS is back. Yay, yay. I don't hear any excitement. Well, no, I mean, like, guys, I'm excited to see what happens with Nani. Uh, let, me just... re- let me repeat it. <laughs> you guys, the MLS is back. Nico? Yes. <laughs> yay, yay. I'm just, utterly, I'm just utterly confused at why Luis Nani lives in the same city that I do right now. Which is just frankly incredible. Oh, that's I never right, because that he's happen. on a Orlando City. Mike yeah, is second, second favorite was Portuguese. Just about as awkward as welcome videos can get. He said, I am very happy. I love this city. And then just signed off. It was, it was really beautiful. <laughs> it's uh. just typical of you Euro snobs to look at the new MLS season <laughs> and just immediately talk about Nani going to Orlando City when there are so many more exciting things happening. Like Atlanta United. Uh, trying to defend their title, managed by Frank DeBoer this year. They lost Miguel Almiron to New- Newcastle, but they've replaced him with an Argentinian named Pity Martinez. Are you guys aware of him? Uh, I am not. Please regale me. His name is Pity. That's not his real name. It's like a nickname, oh, I believe. Okay. But uh, he's their new number 10, uh, trying to fill in the big shoes of Miguel Almiron. What else is happening? There's a new expansion team, FC Cincinnati. You guys aware of them? There's the Hell is Real Derby now between Columbus Crew and FC Cincinnati. Amazing name for a derby. <laughs> you know why it's called the Hell is Real Derby? 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 Does this have to do with uh, the fact yeah. that Columbus doesn't care about its team? <laughs> There's like a sign, like a highway sign that says Hell is Real. Like, oh, I heard about this. Yeah. Yeah, in, in Ohio on in, in the road from Cincinnati to Columbus. And Cincinnati colors are orange I and it blue. Was just because it took place in the Midwest. Wow. Shouts, shouts at the Midwest. <laughs> Do you guys know about Georgi Mihailovic? Mihailovic, I believe is pronounced, but not really. Oh, thanks for correcting no me. No idea. You might have seen him uh, in the last, one of the last USMNT friendlies scoring against Panama. He's a homegrown talent for the Chicago Fire. Has been taken under Bastian Schweinsteiger's wing. A player to watch. Young, hot talent. Probably going to be in the Bundesliga in a year or two. Uh, most likely. I mean, you guys don't. You guys don't sound excited. Get excited. <laughs> uh, I'm super excited. Yeah, I mean, like, but, do you guys know about the MLS's? You're not supposed to say the MLS, right? Because it's Major League Soccer. Do you guys know about MLS? I think it's just MLS. You just yeah. say MLS. Do you guys know about MLS new playoff system this year? Yeah, we talked about it before. Uh, a couple of. Okay, but does Nico know about like, MLS new playoff system? Please educate. So. Yeah. Oh, I don't really know the ins and outs of it, honestly. But what <laughs> oh, I can I say, oh, I don't know. I just wanted to know. quiz you on whether or not you know. Um, they basically <laughs> done. They've done away with the two-legged ties. It's all single elimination, March Madness style, bracketed. Wow. No, no That's reseedings. Intense. It's going to be super that intense. I'm excited for now. Yeah. I'm pumped. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. See. <laughs> and I just. You know, great timing. Received a press package from MLS today, moments before this session. I'm just going to read a couple. I'm going to read a couple. Yeah, (laughs) light flex. I'm just going to read some quick stats off of here. Most goals per game. Average of 3.22 goals per game is more than any major international soccer league. Every club is a contender. 10 different MLS Cup winners in the last 12 years. Uh, Chances on goal. 10 per game, more quality goal scoring chances created per game than any other top league and more shots, 27 per game, highest average attempts on goal per game since 2002 and higher than any top league around the world. 
Michael, who's your team? Doesn't, FC LA? LAFC? Does that just mean that the defending is trash? That's one way to look at it. If you wanted to be a Euro snob. <laughs> Mike, is LAFC your team? Uh, LAFC is my adopted team, Name three sort players. of. Name Not three really. Um, don't Besides even... Carlos why would you, Besides Carlos Why Bella. would you even do that? Why would you even do that? I'm just curious if you can name three players. Don't it's good even... homework for the as the season continues. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't think that like any of this has been useful. <laughs> like I, Nico, how many Orlando City games have you gone to? Did you see Kaká? I did. I have been to about ten Orlando City games. Wow, you're damn near MLS junkie fanatic. I'm damn near an ultra. I'm there almost every time. <laughs> is it? It's just Orlando. Is it? It's just Orlando City. There's no team name, right? There's no. We're like the Lions. It's Orlando oh, gotcha. City SC, so it's Orlando City Soccer Club. But it's, yeah, they're the Lions. Gotcha. Well, I don't have a team I support, so you can't quiz me on any players. Yeah. But anyway, that's, that's really that's really <laughs> name, convenient. Name, name name three MLS players in general. Just any three. <laughs> Zlatan Ibrahimovic. <laughs> um, a pity Martinez and Georgie Mikhailovich. Boom. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. For you people that you've already Bastion, mentioned, and Bastion one of the most famous players ever. <laughs> anyway, you want to know what three, you Ty, know Ty, three oh, no, MLS no, no, players? No, I, I was about to say Tyler Adams, but no no longer. Lee Wynn, Benny Fellhaber, and Latif Blessing. And you know you who they play for? La, you just made Latif Blessing up. I did not who, make Latif Blessing up. You know who they play for? Uh, LAFC? Yeah, so shut up and get off my back. <laughs> yeah, we know Google works. All right, anyways, yo, on a serious note, MLS is back March 2nd. The season starts. We'll be following it a little bit from afar uh, as the season goes on and, and kind of drilling down on cool stories that pop up. Good luck to everybody. On that note, that wraps up another episode. Thank you, Micah. Of course. And thank you, Nico from Orlando, Orlando City Ultra. <laughs> thank you. We'll be back in two weeks. Actually, Micah, I'm coming to LA live in studio with Micah. Chris Ryan. To eat the boot, hopefully. Yeah, to to eat, the eat, boot. The, eat the cleat. Chris Ryan, rumored to appear uh, after True Detective ends. And we're going to have the debut of Kevin Clark, Spurs Ultra. Because that's the day that uh, the second leg of when Spurs loses to Dortmund. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, until then. See you. Peace. Yes, it's time to talk about Hotel Tonight again. They make it easy to book awesome hotels at amazing rates. They're like a matchmaker between top-rated hotels with unsold rooms and people who want to book those rooms. And Hotel Tonight isn't just for last-minute bookings. You can book for tonight, tomorrow, and beyond. It's perfect for planners, procrastinators, and everyone, everyone in between. Find sweet deals at cool hotels you'll actually want to stay at. Go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now.